0: Welcome, welcome, welcome to our worship service. We are going to start off our our service with what we call a call to worship. And this is to sort of get our minds correctly focused on what we need to get our minds correctly focused on. And that is the Word of God, Jesus Christ. And so I'm going to read from uh, the book of Mark, chapter 4, verses 30 to 32. Listen to what the Word says. It's And he said... How shall we picture the kingdom of God? This is Jesus talking. Or by what parable shall we present it? It's like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the soil, though it's smaller than all the seeds that are upon the soil, yet when it's sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and forms large branches so that the birds of the air can nest under its shade. So we see here uh, the kingdom of God being compared to something very small, which is obviously, uh, we know, the mustard seed to be one of the smallest seeds ever. What else does Jesus talk about being equivalent to that mustard seed, which is so important? Our faith. And there is a direct relation between this kingdom of God that Jesus has planted, has started, and has launched. There's a direct correlation to that Kingdom blossoming and blooming and growing into a gigantic tree where people can actually come and get shade and take protection. There's a direct correlation between that growth and your faith. And that's what we've been talking about in this series the past couple of weeks about faith in Hebrews. And that's what I'm looking forward to jumping back into today. So, with that in mind, With what is required of us, let's go to the Lord and let's ask him, because even in our best case, producing that tiny little mustard seed can be difficult. Father, we come before you to ask you, Lord, for the grace of faith, Lord, to have the ability, Lord, to take just the smallest uh, idea, just the smallest little uh, icon of faith, Lord, which is Christ, and to allow that to bloom into our hearts, Lord, and allow that to to work out of ourselves, Lord, into the world. And Father, I pray that you would just um, use this uh, service today to take that little germ of faith and to grow it, and to build for your kingdom, Lord. We're so honored to be a part of the work that you're doing, not only, Lord, in this world at this time in history, but right here and now in this church we ask that you would use this, use this body, Lord, for your glory. Use today's service, Lord, for your glory. Most important, Lord, that you would be glorified through the songs, the preaching, the teaching, the reading, and everything else. Lord, we go before you now in complete dependence on you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.
1: Let let us continue worshiping in in prayer. Father, we, Son and Holy Spirit, we come before you, having just sung about your being the eternal God, the ancient of days, the rock of ages, our creator, our sustainer, our savior, our Lord. Father, we, we come before you as a needy people, recognizing that it is only by your grace that you produce faith in us, and only by your grace can we feel your true and complete forgiveness. Not the forgiveness of putting things away and forgetting them and pushing them away, but but true cleansing and renewal and restoration in our hearts. That's what our souls truly desire, and so as we've just sung from Psalm 130, we, we acknowledge that. If you were to count our sins against us, who could stand? But with you there is great forgiveness and this cleansing. And so we do wait for you. We confess our sins before you now, acknowledging that there's no good in us apart from you. And that in so many ways, having known and received your goodness and your good gifts, we we often turn to idols. We often focus on ourselves, on our own needs and we we reject your ways, and father we we know that we fall short in so many ways, and so we, we place ourselves in your hands, recognizing that only through your Son Jesus and his sacrificial death on the cross that paid the price for our sins can we come before you and receive that true and complete forgiveness. We know that you desire truth in our inner being lord and and so we ask that you would restore us, forgive us, cleanse us, and create a right spirit in us, so that we could worship you as you deserve. Because there's no one who is worthy of praise except except for you and you alone, Father. We we want to praise you for uh, bringing Dot Swain home this week after time in. physical rehab. Lord, we thank you that she and Fred are now together and we pray that you would just continue to strengthen her and and, uh, be with them, but we rejoice together with them for the work that you've done in her body and in her health. Um, Lord, we continue to lift up Pastor Pat's mom and ask that you would heal her, that you would strengthen her and encourage her, um, give her the care she needs, and we pray that she would be able to trust in you during this time and that you'd give comfort to, to the family as, as they um, seek her well-being and we ask you just be near to them in this in this time of need. Uh, we pray for our sister Cheryl and her loss of her brother. Lord, would you provide the comfort that only you can give? We, we face loss so often in this life and we, we just don't know how to process it and, and it hurts and, it, and it's painful and yet, Lord, you are near to the broken hearted. And so we, we pray your um, comfort and, and strength during this time for, for Cheryl and, and her other family members. Lord, we, we also want to lift up Elvia de Alba, who's fallen in, in the hospital in Mexico. We just pray that you would strengthen her body and give her um, the care that, that she needs during this time. Uh, we think of Debbie's aunt, Elsie, and, and her health, and we, we, we lift her up, and the family. Um, you've given her many years of life, and we pray that in this in this uh, illness that she's dealing with, Lord, that you would strengthen her and, and encourage her, and that she would be able to trust you completely for, for her health and well-being. We pray for the continued strength and recovery of Rich Bauman as well after surgery. Lord, thank you that he came out of the surgery well, and we pray that you just continue to strengthen and restore him. And so, Lord, for our congregation, there are, there are so many needs, and, and we ask that you would, um, because you know us, because you love us, like a shepherd, would you lead us and guide us and uh, provide all, all that we need. We want to lift up specifically our family in focus this week, uh, Gregorio and Silvia, and we pray for, for them and their life, their marriage, um, their all of their work, and um, we just ask that you would bless them and, and keep them. We pray for Sylvia's sons. We thank you that Jonathan is with us, and he's receiving the care he needs for his hand to heal. We pray for Ulysses and Elan in Mexico. We pray that you'd bless them and, and their, and and also for Sylvia's grandchildren that you would meet them in in, in their need and for. Uh, Gregorio's family, for his brother Mauricio, for his mom and dad, for his mom and and her health and his other brothers, we just pray that you would um, bless them and and, and keep them. We also lift up the Wilsons and and their important work of equipping uh, national pastors in in places where the gospel is is often not able to be um, openly um, presented and so we pray that you would just Use them in mighty ways to to equip um, pastors around the world and and teachers and we you'd be with them and we continue to pray for Linda and her um, and her family's health and and uh, the grieving process for for her sister and and now her her brother-in-law's uh, health as well. So Lord, we just give these things to you because you are the great physician. You are over all things, and we know that we can cast all our cares on you because you care for us. And so in this service, as we continue to worship you now and hearing your word preached, we pray that you would um, give Pastor Pat your unction, that your Holy Spirit would uh, make your word come alive through what words he has to share with us, that they would be your words and that they would um, produce the fruit that you would want them to have in us, whether it be the fruit of repentance whether it be encouragement, whether it be new life in Christ. Father, we we just know that your word never returns void, and so we ask that it would go out and carry out the work for which it was destined. Um, We just thank you again. What a a privilege to worship the living God, and, and we leave all of these things in your hands because we know you are able. In Jesus' name, amen. Our Old Testament reading this morning comes from Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 4. Um, you can follow along in your Bible or on the screen. Genesis 12, 1 to 4, reading from the NASB. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Um, May God uh, bless the reading of his, his word. And for those who are going to King's Kids, they can now go to their class, or for those who'd like to... Hear the sermon translated into Spanish. You can dial into the number on your screen or in the, the bulletin.
0: Okay. All well, good morning again. We are in Hebrews chapter 11. We are continuing to go through uh, one of the meatiest chapters in the Bible on one of the meatiest topics on the Bible. And that is Hebrews chapter 11 is the chapter, and the topic is faith. The topic is faith. So let's jump right in, and I'm going to start with verse 8, and I'm going to read down through verse 12. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and when he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise, for he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, there was born even of one man and him as good as dead at that as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number and innumerable as the sand, which is on the seashore. I really love that one little aspect there. You didn't have to add that in, but basically telling us he was as good as dead. And this really gives you the spirit and the fervor of the writer here. He is really trying to communicate and show you the miraculous, not only within each one of these people, but the miraculous that can happen when God's people have faith. And so we are right, sort of right in the middle of this chapter. And you would think if you know about how much the Bible speaks of Abraham, that this whole entire chapter could just be, about Abraham as it relates to faith. Abraham is one of the central, if not the central figure of the whole entire Old Testament and really could be connected to the central figure of the whole Bible very well, which is Christ, because Christ is the seed of Abraham. But when you're talking about Old Testament and you're talking about the Hebrew people, and you're even speaking about during the time of Christ. When you read through the Gospels, it's Abraham's name who constantly comes up. Abraham is that backdrop. I don't know if you've if obviously when you when you're watching social media, all the backdrops you see that are behind people aren't really there, as you probably know. There's a green screen or there's some sort of background there's some sort of software that's projecting, I don't know, a cityscape or a landscape, or the person's logo, or product behind it. Well, if Israel were to have a social media page during that time, their backdrop, their banner, would be that of the patriarchs, especially that of Abraham. He is in the backdrop of every Israelite's mind. And the reason why is because of the promise that God made to Abraham. What we read Here in the first uh, passage, uh, the Old Testament passage, we read the first encounter ever between God and Abraham. And it's very simply God speaking to Abraham in chapter 12. Almost seems in Genesis 12 that it's just out of the blue. It's that backdrop... That began right there, well actually in chapter 11, at the end of chapter 11, Abraham, or Abram I should say, is introduced a bit. But then from Genesis chapter 12, all the way to Abraham's death in Genesis, I believe chapter 27, 25 to 27, somewhere in there. We read this rich history of this man that, that is iconized, I guess you could say, by the Jewish people as... Faith. He is the one that illustrates faith. And of course, why Abraham is so it goes right in tandem with this backdrop of Abraham is the backdrop of the Jewish people being delivered by God from bondage. You see, when God told Abraham in Genesis chapter 15, that through his seed all of the entire earth. The whole, every family of the entire earth would be blessed. When he was communicating that to Abraham, all the the people of Israel hear that and they know that this is God Almighty making this promise. But then what ends up happening is Abraham says in Genesis 15, well, God, how am I supposed to know that you're going to bless me? Or bless the, the, all the world through me? That's a dangerous thing to ask God. Because, you know, certain people have asked God those questions. And like John the Baptist's father, and, you know, he was mute until John the Baptist came, uh, came forth because he asked the question, why? But here, for some reason, God gives Abraham grace. And he says, I want you to do me a favor. Go get some turtle doves and some pigeons and some heifer and some goats. And he lays out this sacrifice and he makes a covenant with Abraham that through his seed, all the world is going to be blessed. However, something major is going to happen. Abraham's seed, his people, are going to go into bondage for over 400 years. They're going to be treated very abusively by their captors, the Egyptians. And then God even says in that chapter, I'm going to bring judgment on them. And so throughout the whole time that Israel is in captivity, they know the promise to the fathers. So this, this, back, this, this background of Abraham for the whole entire Jewish people now starts to blend into the background of the rescue of the Jewish people. So when the people were in Egypt... They weren't necessarily looking for a deliverer as much as they were looking at God who made the promise that they would be delivered. And so they were waiting on God. And then what does God do? God does 10 really powerful signs and wonders and delivers Egypt. I'm sorry, delivers Israel miraculously out of Egypt. As you you recall, when they were taken out of Egypt, it was not done through something that was light. It was done through the very final act of, of God, which was the murder, the killing, I should say, of Pharaoh's own son, the firstborn in Egypt, because they had God's firstborn, excuse me, and they would not let him go. So the whole entire background of the New Testament, when you read the New Testament... If you don't have this picture of Israel in the background, them look in the background of Abraham, the promise that God would, 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 would bless the whole world through his seed. Also the promise that Israel would be delivered out of bondage, which they were. But then after they were delivered out of bondage, they never really truly were the light of the world that God intended them to be. So Israel was in this perpetual state of waiting for God to show back up, to forgive them, to deliver them, to take them out of what they called exile. Exile meant that they were now under the leadership of another nation. They weren't able to serve God in the way that they wanted to serve God. And how was that? How did they want to serve God? Well, they wanted to serve God in their land They wanted to to have the land that God had promised Abraham. God promised Abraham that he would give him the very land that he was standing on, the land of Canaan, when he called him out of uh, Haran. And he said, here, go to the land that I'm going to show you. We just read about that. He was standing on that land. And all of Israel knew that it had not been fulfilled. They were waiting for God to come through. Ultimately, by this time, they knew there was going to be a deliverer through the prophets and through the Psalms and through David and all this stuff. So they're waiting and they're waiting for God to send the deliverer. Why? Because of the promise of Abraham. The very first verse of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, or the Christ, or the anointed one. The son of David, the son of Abraham. See, these are the key, the the unique identifiers there. The Messiah had to be of that line. He had to be of David because that's where the promise was. There'd be a king on the throne of David forever, God promised. And it had to be through Abraham. Because not only was God going to multiply Abraham's seed, but through that seed, capital S, Jesus, he would bless the whole entire world. So I say all that to show you the importance of this figure that's central to not just the Old Testament, but the entire Bible that's critical and central to the person of Christ. And the reason why is because God's ultimate plan was through faith to unite all the people of God in Abraham. And this is what we have to get as a church. We really need to grab a hold of who this figure Abraham is and what it means when God says he's going to bless the world through Abraham. Because a lot of times we were, we've been trained to decompartmentalize all aspects of Scripture, especially, okay, so we have the fall, and then we have you know, the, the law, and then we have this dispensation, and we have the exile, and you're right. We have all of those things. But they're very neatly tied with a common denominator underneath. They're very neatly tied together with the covenant of grace. And that covenant of grace is God's promise of unmerited favor, meaning he is going to give people what they don't deserve, and that is going to be what? Forgiveness, to take them out of exile. And all of this started with Abraham. Now you may be saying, well, wait a minute, didn't it start in the garden? Well, yeah, that's where Adam and Eve fell, and that's where the first promise was of a Redeemer that, God, that, that the Christ with the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. And that serpent would only bruise the heel okay, of the seed of the woman. And that is the Garden of Eden. That's obviously a promise of Christ. And so, yes, it started there. But if you look through Genesis chapter 1 all the way up until the time of Abraham, there's a lot of weirdness that's going on. Right? We see the flood... We see God start over mankind. He wipes the whole world out with the flood, but he doesn't say to Noah, through your seed necessarily all the world is going to be blessed. No, he doesn't. He starts the world over with Noah, and then after we get through Genesis chapters 8, 9, and 10, we get to chapter 11, which is another unique chapter which talks about the Tower of Babel. And so we see, if we pull back the camera lens and we look sort of at the first 11 chapters, we could see God, is there's something going on here. There's the start of something in Genesis 1, obviously. God creates His temple, the world, where His image is going to sit in it, and His glory is going to reflect out of it. But then there's the fall, there's the corruption of mankind, the Nephilim, all this wickedness that every intent and thought of man's heart was evil all the time. And so God wipes it out. But then we come to the, come to Babel where everyone has one language. So it's after the fall and it says that the nations weren't necessarily divided yet. And so mankind is at it again. So what does God do? He comes down, he confuses the language when they're trying to build this tower up to the heavens, and he separates the entire world and separates it into nations that can't communicate with each other. And then God does, you know, I imagine he grabs his chin, of course. What am I going to do now? Let me create a people for myself. Okay, And then sort of at the end of chapter 11, we see these quick genealogies. And then we read of this man called Abram, whose father is Terah, who says, or, you know, his father is actually the one that said to him at the end of chapter 11, hey, let's go to Canaan. Get, you know, Sarah, your wife and your half sister and get Lot, your nephew, and we're going to go to Canaan. They start going to Canaan and they make it to Haran and then Terah ends up dying. Abraham's father. And then the very next chapter is chapter 12, and that's what we read. And Abraham gets the knock on the door. He gets the call. Now, remember, Abraham, we don't read anything other than that. Abraham was 75 years old when this happened. And so I know we could go and we could say, okay, ages were a little weird back then. They were a little off right? Especially Sarah being 95 years old and Abraham worried that people are going to be attracted to her and steal her, right? That says a lot. Okay. Sarah was, was really, really ahead of her time. (laughs) Seriously, think about that. Right. But she, this was different. Okay. But they were still old. Okay. Because still they were past the age of reproduction. That's what basically Abraham said. He said, you know, how, how is this even going to happen? And so Abraham, he ends up up going right to the very border, and then his father dies, and then God calls him at that point. And I love the calling of Abraham. It's it's not a huge, miraculous, earth-shattering, it's not even a burning bush. We don't know how God does it. He just calls Abraham out. And Abraham says, okay, I'm going to go. And and to me, you you see, you have one of the most, one of the biggest icons of of the faith, Abraham, has absolutely no idea who he is. He has absolutely no idea how he's going to be used. Sarah has no idea what she's getting herself into. Now, again, we may be thinking this isn't David, right? He's not about to go fight Goliath. As a matter of fact, Abraham, I mean, I don't know. I'm sort of on the fence about him. Was he wimpy or was he just like didn't want problems with people or was he a fierce warrior? Because he obviously was someone that knew how to fight. Because he trained 318 people that were born in his own house how to fight and how to go to war. That's a lot of people to train. Either that he or he was smart to bring the right people in to train them. So Abraham knew how to fight. He actually went up against five kings and he wiped them all out after they had invaded Sodom and Gomorrah and stole Lot. He went and got everything back, including Lot, his nephew. He was met by Melchizedek. Remember, we we talked about that. But Abraham was just this simple sort of guy. He wasn't any different than you or I, I don't think. You know, he wasn't the big warrior, you know, like uh, one of David's fighting men. But he wasn't like a wimp either, right? He wasn't going to just let his nephew be kidnapped and say, yeah, I guess that's it. I'm not going to go after him. I'm sure he wasn't happy about it. I'm sure he wasn't excited to leave his whole camp and potentially lose his family, his life and everything else. But he was just this simple guy who, right here in verse eight, we, we have a couple of, we, we have a few passages here that talks about him. He skips around. So we'll be talking about him for a couple of weeks. But it says here in verse eight, "By faith." Abraham, when he was called, there's no pause here, right? We want stuff to be here. When he was called, he, you know, went to the board at the church and said, Hey, I think that I'm called. And they said, No, you're not called. You don't have what it takes, you know, to go and and be called by God. Or he didn't go necessarily to Say, uh, yeah, I'm called by God. I'm going go to se- go off to seminary for six years, and, and I have to get this. I get, nothing wrong with doing that. I went to seminary. I think it's great. But the point of it is, is that Abraham just simply obeyed. And when we go back to the commentaries in Genesis, what I mean by the commentaries, I mean literally go back and read Genesis chapter 12 through 25 to 27, whichever it is there. I forget but you'll see this is a very detailed explanation of the life of Abraham. But Abraham started out very, very humbly. He didn't think who he was. Okay, He just was called by God, however that was. Was it, was it a voice or whatever? And he went. So did he know God? I'm sure he knew God at some point. He was introduced to God. The God of, uh, of the Hebrew God or the God of God, but there was no Hebrew at that time. But God did it was a two it was a two part, and this is what it is for you and I as well. There's a two parts to it. Every one of us that believes on Jesus Christ is called by God. Okay, that's what the word church means. We're the called out ones. We're called out into another place. So we're called out. To gather together. That's what we are. We're, we are the called out ones. We obey the calling and we are called out. But then once we're called out and God gets our attention, there's another part to that. We are then sent out. So we're called out necessarily of, I mean, of the world, not necessarily out of something, but we're called out by God to be saved. And now that we're saved, we are sent out to wherever it is that you are sent out to. And so this calling over your life is so critically important. This is why it's important to see Abraham's tie in here. The calling on your life is one thing, but the sending out is a whole different thing. And that is you are being sent out as a vessel like Abraham was. Of the new creation, you are carrying with you the seed of the gospel. You have the word of God in your heart. You have that seed of faith. Remember what we talked about if you were here when we started out, right? The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It starts out as one of the smallest seeds, but then it penetrates out and it grows and grows and grows. And that's what your sending out is supposed to be doing. Your, your existence, let me make it clearer and make it even simpler. Your existence in this world, the reason God put you and created you out of nothing and put you into the belly of your mother and brought you into this world during this point of time in history has nothing to do with your financial status, your career, your, uh, how many children you have or don't have, the failures that you have in your life, the things that you did that were stupid before, the things that you're going to do that are stupid in the future. the God knows about all of those things, guys. He has put you here, despite all of that, for that specific uh, me, to be that vessel to to push out. And there's where the grace of God comes in. Because everybody is now starting to think of how bad they are, or no, not me, or how could I do that? Or maybe you're thinking the opposite, which is just as bad. I don't know if I want to do that. I don't know if I would do that if God called me to do it. Or God could really, really use me in this way because I have so many skills and talents and <laughs> Gosh, what, how could he even choose, right? <laughs> on on how to on where to use me. I feel bad for him. Pray for him, you know. And that's sort of we have this we have this mentality. But but God, it doesn't matter about all that stuff with God. He has you in your situation right now to be just like Abraham was when he was called out. Maybe it's not. Maybe you're not initially being called out. You're in your calling. Go through this life that this man had. Right after God tells him, yeah, I'm going to bless you. You know, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed through you. What does he do? He's this Mr. Tough guy. He's afraid. He does it twice. The first time he goes and he, he tells his wife, and this is right after the calling. I believe this is in Genesis chapter 13. He God covers his stupid mistakes, gives him protection. He goes to Pharaoh and lies and says that Sarah is well. He doesn't tell the whole truth however you want to say it. He doesn't tell them that Sarah is his wife because he's afraid that he's going to get killed. Talk about faith in God, right? God telling me right now, Pat, you know, I'm going to go and use you. All the nations of the world are going to be blessed through you. And then I walk up 15 steps later and I see some guy and I'm like, oh, I quit. I'm like, never mind, Lord. Never mind. I don't want to be used. I'm not walking through that guy. No way. He's Pharaoh. You know, I mean, I would have been the most confident. Well, I say that we would have been the most confident people in the world going up to Pharaoh, right? no. No, we would have done the same thing. You know, because God knows that your faith, that little mustard seed of faith that you have in your pocket, you lose all the time, don't you? It falls out. Where did I put it? And so God is the one who has to... He has done it through by grace through faith so that way nobody can boast. So the the most holy person in this room right now, the most sinless, most perfect, ideal Christian in this room right now, is compared to the absolute worst person in this room right now before the Lord and your calling to God. Is, there's no difference. It's the same thing. Now, don't, if you want to nitpick, get nitpicky on that. I'm sure we could get all theological a nitpicky on it if you want, but I'm not going to go there because you know what I'm talking about. All of, The Bible says everything that's not done in faith is sin. So none of us have, have even been sinless this past minute. Because some of you won't even believe in what I'm saying. So you lack faith. Or people listening to it. We, we're constantly in this flux, aren't we? Like our body is constantly rejuvenating and killing cells. And we're, our walk with God is in this constant flux. But He wants us to remember Abraham. Remember Abraham, the father of your faith. The one who is uniting all of the people of God. uh, He's uniting them in one land. That new creation. Under one single Lord, Jesus Christ. There's not multiple gods or multiple peoples of God. He is the central unifying person, Jesus Christ. All the glory has to be given to him, not us. So Abraham would hide right now being in the presence of God. He doesn't want the the light shining on him. We have to be careful, right? We could go to the scriptures and we could honor and look at these guys, but even Abraham was a knucklehead. He even messed up. And he went and did it again. This was even after You know, God promised them three or four more times. God had a habit of going up to Abraham. It seemed every chance he had and said, Abraham, wait a second. Take a look out of the whole land. As far as you can see, it's all going to be yours. Abraham's like, all right, yeah, whatever. And then Abraham, his attention was gotten when God said, but it's going to come from your body. And then it says, oh, then he believed the Lord and it counted to him as righteousness in chapter 15. That would that that in of itself, like you think about i'm going to bless the world through you, okay, no problem, great, you know who knows how this is going to play out years after I'm gone, but then he says something else, just to add to that. he appears to you like he did in uh, in Genesis nineteen, and he says before they destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, and he says to them. Should we uh, tell Abraham what we're about to do? Because there were three of them there. The Lord and two angels of the Lord, or however you want to look at those three. And they were going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. But God also had a different reason for showing up there that day too. He said, this time next year, you're going to have a son. And it's going to come from your wife, Sarah. And Sarah heard it and laughed. Abraham heard it, that may be Genesis 18. Genesis 17, and when Abraham got the covenant of circumcision, God mentioned it to him then too. He laughed. That's why Isaac was named Isaac, which means laughter. Because they just couldn't believe this. And so by faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive beyond the proper time of life. So Sarah, in her mind... Something went off. There was a a synapse or something that God uses when he mixes our faith with whatever stuff he mixes it with that he likes. He gives us the faith and then says, use it. Sarah said, you know what? I'm going to believe this. I am really going to believe this, that this time next year, I'm going to believe the word of God. And then fireworks went off because that's what God's looking for. He's looking to go to his people and say, how about this? And then to say, I can't see it. I can't feel it. I can't taste it. It doesn't seem right. But because you're God, I'm going to step forward and I'm going to do it. Now, I don't know how else to break that down. I'm not intelligent enough to go in more into the brain, but I wish I was to break our brain into little tiny microfibers and say, this is how faith works, okay? God gives it to us, and then he act- we activate it, and he- do you get it? I can't explain that. All we know is that God gives it to us and expects us to use it and then tells us about when people use it. A lot of amazing things have happened because God is working through them, and they're just going along with God as good as dead. Sarah is good as dead as it relates to childbearing. Abraham is good as dead as it relates to childbearing. Why do you think God wanted to do that? You know, Abraham tried to help God out. You know about that. Because once God told him that he was going to bless, you know, Abraham through his seed, God is like, Or Abraham is like, how is this going to happen, Sarah? You know, come on. So Sarah, you know, I don't want to be there during those conversations. But Sarah says, "Okay, take my handmaid, Hagar, and go lie with her. And through, you know, she'll have a child in my place. And that's when Ishmael was born. And God was like, all right, great. I'm going to bless him, too. That's not how this is going to work, Abraham. And it it, it probably just blew them away even more. That our God is for real. He's for real when it comes to doing the miraculous and making things out of nothing. He wants us to know that he does these things because it's impossible for us to do them. If it's possible for you and I to do it, then there's going to have we're going to have that possibility in our mind when it happens that it was us okay god is the one that does it he is the one that has to do the miracle birth and so the miracle birth okay here is is obviously we're going to be looking at over next week and the week after potentially we're going to be looking at this miracle birth of isaac but it's really pointing to the miracle birth of Christ. Because when it talks about Abraham's seed, they're not talking about seeds, multiple. They're talking about seed, singular, capital S. And that is in Christ. And so this is why it's so important for us to get Abraham. Because we're all, see, Abraham was brought in, so that all the people of God could be united under one person, under that one head. No longer Adam who sinned, but now we're under this head, this Abrahamic head, which is faithfulness. And everything that God promised Abraham, everything, he promised him what? His descendants. Would all his descendants would populate the whole entire, entire Earth? Do you know that there's going to be a time on this Earth where the only people living on it will be Abraham's descendants? Did you know that? When the new creation comes and the dead are raised, those dead that are raised are Abraham's descendants. They are you and they are I. And so, this is why it's so important. He puts all the Abraham's descendants and, and he meets them in Christ. And how do they get saved? Not through the law. They get saved through faith. Right? Under that category of Abraham. Because, so that See, God wanted to show, look, I'm calling Abraham before I even gave you the law. I'm calling Abraham... Before I even gave you circumcision. I'm calling Abraham. And guess what, why I'm calling him? Because he was faithful. And now he gets that status of righteous. And all of those who are in Christ are in Abraham's seed. We are the seed of Abraham. The true Israel is the, is the seed of Abraham. The spiritual Israel. So we're all gathered to Christ in this pocket of Abraham here. Without Abraham, we don't have all that. We don't have any of that. And it all started, and it all began by a simple calling. Now remember what God did, okay? He could have, he could have, maybe He called Noah. Who knows? Maybe Noah said, "No, I am not. I'm done. I did the ark. I don't want. I don't want a whole people." Right? Who knows? That's total speculation. Okay, don't ever don't believe that. But I'm just saying, he didn't call Noah. He didn't, you know, do something different there with Enoch. He could have did something with Enoch, he could threw Abel his blood, you know, through that sea. Who knows? No. He used Abraham, who simply obeyed by faith. He used Sarah, who was simply willing, and she was there with him by faith. Why? Because God wanted to show how impossible it was. Why? Because he wants to show you that your little itty-bitty faith can you be used in the same way. I don't mean to be so cliche, but it's true. I'm not trying to tell you God wants to do something really big in your life. He wants you to be the next Abraham. I'm not telling you that. Because that wouldn't be biblical. Does God really want to do something big? Yes. In your life? Yes. Big according to who? To God. To you, it may, or to the, to the world, it may not be big. But to, but to God, it's huge. It's just as valuable as what Abraham did. It's just as important. Because God uses people. And he uses all the parts. They're all moving parts. It's not this big gooey sort of mess that just God is just going to figure it out because he's God. At the end, he's just going to make everything good. No, nope, he does things meticulously through perfection, through people, through his glory, through his grace. He uses our faith, but even that is a gift from God that we have to go to. But, but here's the bottom line. Are you willing to be used in that way? Are you willing to stop going, okay, I'm gonna, I know what to do in my mind, but now I'm going to take those wires and connect them. And see what happens. I'm going to connect the wire of God's calling and my faith. And I'm going to connect it. And you don't have to. This isn't just in big things. This is in everything in your life. This is in your everyday dealings at your job. In your, in your home. In your personal time. Whatever you do. This is God is with you always and wants to be a part of all that and is using all that. Man, if we could just get that. He's using all of that for his glory for the big project. So let's be very sensitive to the little tiny things. These little tiny verses. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. We're going to get more into that. I didn't even talk about the city, which has foundations, uh, because that's sort of the, the way the writer goes is he sort of talks about Abraham, Sarah, and then something else, and then goes back to Abraham. So we're going we're to follow that pattern going forward. But activate that faith. Read ahead. Okay, read chapters 12, I'm sorry, finish 11, reach chap- chapters 12 and 13, so at least we, we can all be on the same page on where this is going. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for using the debased things of the world, Lord, for, for not looking on the outside, but looking on the inside. Lord, I pray that you would uh, cause us to have that heart, Lord, that wants to connect with you through faith in whatever plan or program it is that you have for us, Lord. Let us redeem our time, Lord, or redeem our days, Lord, knowing that there are a few And God, that the days that we have to serve you, Lord, let us take each single one, God, and use it the most productive way that we possibly can. I pray for anyone here, Lord, that doesn't know you or that's seeking you or that's looking to connect those wires of faith, Lord, that you would assist them for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.
2: uh,